Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. So Beverly, it's good to see you. Um, Your room's looking a little different. Tell me what's been going on with you. Yeah, I have, uh, I'm about to put my house on the market. It actually goes on the market a week from when we are recording this. So a few weeks from when it will air. But um, yeah, I, um, I am packing up and moving in with um, our, our coworker. (laughs) (laughs) uh, our our artist and musician and computer guy Jim that is awesome it sounds super inappropriate from an HR perspective but I'm going to work with that (laughs) I uh I I love it and I'm excited to see what your new selling space is going to look like yeah so right now it has about seven guitars in it and a whole music mixing station a whole bunch of pedals and all that. And uh, so Jim is giving up some very precious space to me and I'm really, I'm really happy about it. <laughs> it sounds like it, but it, it'll be used in an, a different but equally creative fashion. So that's true. That's true. A, a fair trade. I love it. So the only problem with this moving business is I haven't been able to do all that much sewing. Um, I have, however, worked on my daughter's Upton dress, which is absolutely beautiful. And she tried it on on Saturday. I have everything but the zipper done. And I know, I know you don't want me to do the zipper, but um, her her bust ratio demands the zipper. Um, I understand that, but I'm going to make some counter arguments. Can I make those counter arguments? <laughs> you can make them, yes. Okay, awesome. I like how open you are to this. Mm-hmm. So that's really positive. So zippers are terrible. So just don't put it in. That's the first step. But understanding that you need a way to open that back up, I'm, I'm going to start by suggesting the toddler suggestion. Slap some Velcro in there. It's very sophisticated. It'll look great, great in an Upton. Let's assume that you've decided that you're not going to go the toddler route because I can tell almost by looking at you that that is, that is not even on the table. Very no. disappointing. So if you're not going to do that, give some thought to snaps. We all know how amazing snaps are. And then there's that added excitement associated with sort of moving around in a fitted bodice and seeing what happens with the snaps. I think that's where the glory is. But if we're not willing to take the risks, and it sounds like maybe you're not a risk taker, I think what would be really amazing in an Upton is um, to put a modesty panel behind the two sides. So you'd have the way that it opens kind of in a V because that's how zips work, right? You end up with a V once it's opened Mm -hmm. and you sew in a modesty panel. So you can't see any flesh behind that V that just opened up, add grommets, lace it up. Now, I know you think I'm kidding when I start down this path and it may not be right for this version of the Upton, but wouldn't a laced back Upton be amazing? It would be really beautiful. I do, however, believe that your your final suggestion here is actually more work than putting in a zipper. <laughs> now, I'm going to argue that while it may be more work than putting in the zipper, it is easier to make it look neat and accurate because it's not a fucking zipper. But then the second point regarding it would be it's got more impact than any zipper you put in the back of that Upton is going to have. 
Yes. Well, I'll take it under advisement. I appreciate it. I look forward to this laced up back Upton that you're going to create. I'm very excited by it. <laughs> well, um, actually, I, I was surprised to find, I went to look for my zipper to put it in today. And I don't know where the hell my zippers are. I, I have no idea. Luckily, I'm going no, to- no. You're on a diet. You're not allowed to buy anything right now. So you can't buy a new zipper until you find the old one. Now, what were you going to say? I'm going to New York City tomorrow to the garment district. That has to be painful when you're on a fabric ban. Well, guess what? You already gave me a way out of that. Uh-uh. It me to go ahead and buy things because you I'm not to. being punished. No, you're not being punished. And of course you have to buy things. I can't wait to see what you buy, except I will then feel punished <laughs> because Aww. I am not there buying too. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a little uh, Instagram live from there. You definitely need to. And you should make an effort to buy at least one thing that would be way outside your comfort zone. Okay. That should be your challenge. Instead of not adding to your stash, add a thing to your stash that you know feels just a little bit out there. Okay. That's, that'll be my, that'll be my plan. So yeah, it's nice because we live about a three hour drive from New York. So, um, so it's possible and Jim's going to go play music with some, somebody famous, but I don't know (sighs) I, I have no idea who it is. So, um, <laughs> so famous, but not as famous as me. Right. Because you know I know who, who I you are. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, so, I love it. That's going to be amazing. And I, I think, I bet our listeners will be dying to get a report on this because it's like a fantasy shopping trip for a lot of people that they don't necessarily get an opportunity to take. Yeah. My daughter was like, well, why don't you just go to Joanne's? Why do you need to go to New? I was like, oh, <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. I'm I mean, Joanne's the, the, again. <laughs> the selection even on Joanne's website is so limited yeah. in terms of quality, in terms of even types of fabric colors. I mean, there's so much that they don't have. Well, I think the thing is too, she looks she sees in these stores, these huge selection of fabric, but she doesn't realize that most of it is not for garments. Well, I'm going to argue that most of it can be used for garments, but I agree. It's not its initial intended purpose. Oh yeah. I would throw away every quilting cotton for all of time just to (laughs) have the opportunity to play with the variety in New York city for sure. Do you know of any good stores there? I don't. I've always wanted to go. And the last time that I drove past New York City was on my way to Boston to go to Cashmerette. And I, even as I was driving by, I thought, oh my God, I should park and take the train over. Oh my God, I should park and take the train over. And then I thought, I am a fat, middle-aged, old, old lady. I don't even know. From a small town in North Carolina I am not parking my car at some random exit and taking a train into the big city all by my lonesome. And I didn't do it because it felt way too intimidating for who I am. I see. I'm someone who finds Joanne's a little busy sometimes. And so the idea of all of that just sounded scary. Well, maybe, maybe sometime when you're up here, I'll take you. I think that would be best. Yeah. (laughs) I'll protect you. 
<laughs> I think that would be best. It was just, yeah, it was too intimidating. It sounded too scary to me, so I didn't do it. But I'm excited to see what you get out of the situation. I know for me, and I don't even think it's probably what you're supposed to go to if you're going into the garment district, but I've always wanted to go to mood fabrics. Oh, me too. Me too. I'm because, do that. you know, because of Project Runway, right? I mean, like that's where I knew about it. So I've only seen them in advertising. I I oh. didn't know they were related to Project One Ray in any way. I oh, that's where they that, go. Though, I think since the first season, I don't think I've ever watched it. So oh, okay. I, I so Project Runway is one of those things. There are a lot of those different reality shows that are based around crafting that I find to be a little fat phobic. <laughs> It definitely, definitely it made it harder to get into them. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it definitely was definitely. Yeah. And Christian Serrano, who was one of the winners, I believe in, mm-hmm. in the early seasons has come a long way from a, a much more fat oppositional place in fashion to someone who really embraces it Yeah. Um, now, which is, has been exciting to, to see happen. But it, yeah, definitely made it harder to get into. But Mood, I love because I love, they have their own, I guess, house brand of fabrics that you can see on their website. And they have such interesting designs available there that I've always, always really found appealing. Yeah. So I'll check it out and I'll let you know what I think. But I also want to go and see some of the small places. Of course. And there's a, there's a place called Gray Linen. Well, that sounds right up your alley. Yeah. So I'm excited about that store too. But anyway, you are are not moving. So I believe you have done some sewing. (laughs) I have. I I am not moving in any way. Um, I need to clean up my room. If I was moving, that would probably benefit me. But but I'm not moving. Instead, I am still on my latest binge sew, which is all about the Adriana dress or Adriana dress from Friday Pattern Company. This is one that still hasn't had its expanding sizing come out, but I'm told it is on the list for this year. I have started now um, binging, making them as cut off at waist waist uh, length and then adding a gathered skirt, which I then elasticize to bring it in even further. So it's, it's like double gathered at that point. Um, and I've started making them like that, which I've really enjoyed. I think they're fun. So you, um, you gather it and then you elasticize it. So I gather it, I attach it, I try it on and go, oh shit, it's still not as close as I want it at the waist. And then I turn it inside out. I take the seam allowance where I gathered. So the seam allowance where I attached it and I take a piece of elastic that I've stretched to the length I wanted around my waist. And I, I don't even pin it. I just start on one end, pulling it along as I go, um, to gather along that seam allowance so that when I put it back on, it's, it's appropriately pulled in a little bit further. Yep. So you could do it all in one. I don't think so because I'm stretching it and sewing it with a zigzag along my seam allowance. And if I were going to do it all in one, I'd probably use a triple stitch, stretch it as I attach the gathering to the bodice instead of a zigzag in the seam allowance. I've just Practically speaking, probably what I'd do. I've given some thought to putting a casing in or doing something else, but in the end, this is sort of the cheap and lazy way to do it. So <laughs> no shock there. That's how I'm planning to do it. Um, but I've also returned to the Rosalie by Fiber Mood, which was the first pattern I did with Fiber Mood. Um, and uh, it's got like tiny circle skirts for the sleeves. 
um, that are attached on a drop shoulder, grown on sort of sleeve thing. Um, with also just known as flounce sleeves, right? Is it called a flounce? See, I think of it as a circle skirt sleeve for you. Well, that's what We're, flounces are. I didn't know. Yeah. That's exciting. Look at me learn something. Um, and I've, I've made two or three of those in the last couple of days because they take an hour. I mean, they're just so quick to do. And um, I needed some additional skirts, uh, additional dresses. One of them I've gone ahead and added a felt self-fabric belt to, to bring it in some. Because somehow when I got done with it, even though it is just a beautiful lawn with lovely flowers that reminds me of Liberty of London, but isn't. Um, when I finished it and tried it on, I looked at myself in the mirror and thought, oh my God, it's a hospital gown. And so, so I added a belt cause that fixed it. But the previous, the one I made the day before was made out of a stretch cotton sateen, um, in rainbow stripes and didn't in any way look like a hospital gown, same pattern, same cut, same everything. Hmm. But, um, somehow one of them just said hospital to me and the other didn't. So that was fun. Um, I've cut out another one that I've done out of a fabric that I designed that's, um, the pride flag basically. And I'm, I'm working on that one next. Um, and I've got two more an Ankara and a, uh, quilting cotton, um, that's printed with, uh, cabbages that I, that I'm also <laughs> planning out of this. So that's great. So we'll see, but I'm, in, I'm enjoying that one right now. The, the most exciting part of, uh, of the most recent Rosalie that I made is that I added, I added a piped edge between two pieces. So when I cut the skirt out, I accidentally cut the skirt the wrong length. Mm. Um, the fabric I had wasn't wide enough. So I made a decision that I was just going to do with the fabric for front and back. And I measured the length of the pattern piece. I cut the thing out. And it was about three inches shorter than I meant for it to be, which is enough of a difference that it becomes hard to wear at work. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I've got extra fabric. I've got a little bit left. So I'm going to add on. I'm just going to sew it right back on the bottom where I, I accidentally cut it off. And then I thought, I'm not going to line that shit up. So that's going to be a problem. And I realized I had piping. Mm. And so I added a white piped edge between the two pieces. And now it looks like a stylish detail yeah. instead of an error where I cut it too short. So um, it's a great example of uh, intentional sewing, making it look like it was on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and it does. It's gorgeous. And it makes me wonder why I don't do more piped things. So I've got this whole little card of, of probably another 10 yards of, of piped white piping and I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to use it in my next, my next sews. So I'm, I'm very excited to add some piping. And I did that using a foot I got when I bought that Instagram advertisement, the Madam Sew 50 put 50 piece foot set or whatever it is for your sewing machine for your low shank machine. And it works beautifully on my baby lock and I love it. So yeah, it's been exciting. I, I feel like I feel like I accomplished stuff this week, which is weird. I haven't felt that way in a while. That's good. I, yeah, all my accomplishments have been things like getting the plumbing fixed, getting a new roof, things like that. <laughs> I mean, those sound like way more impressive accomplishments than I piped a skirt. <laughs> but you have a skirt to wear. I just have. It's a true. You just have a roof to sell. <laughs> That's right. So, um, 
Lately, we've been getting a lot of great comments on the website and in DMs from people appreciating our show, which was which has been really lovely. I've enjoyed that so much. And when we talked a little bit ago about um, garment workers and sort of uh, the kind of condition, we didn't go too much into it, but basically we, we know that garment workers aren't well paid and that, um, or lots of garment workers aren't well paid and some of them are in really deplorable situations. The person asked about, what about textile workers? So that got me thinking, um, of course, if you make your own clothes, you've, you've removed one step of the problem by the fact that, you, you know, that, that you're making it yourself. But what about the textile workers and how do we find out, first of all, what conditions textile workers are in? And also when we have our fabric, where that came from, because I really, I don't know much about it. I do know that there are certified fabrics that, but I don't know yet how reliable that certification is in determining how well the the workers are treated. So um, I am interested in exploring this a little bit and maybe I'll make a little mini episode about it for just so people who, who are interested in it could, could hear about that. But um, if anybody who's listening has a particular interest in this and maybe knows where to start. I've, I've had a little difficulty finding some information. Now I've spent about, I don't know, 30 minutes on it. So it's not like I've d- done a lot of work on it, but um, if anybody has any information for me, resources or anything that I can look at, um, I'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. When, um, when we decided to uh, print fabric to carry in our shop, one of the things we did was look at various printing options in the U.S. and abroad for having fabrics printed. And part of that involved um, trying to vet factories that we couldn't necessarily go to and visit. And, um, and I looked at things like how to factor become certified how to how do other how can you get things like that and there's a there's a lot of variety out there it's not quite as far as I can tell the program that for example an ISO program is for a quality department right so you can go out and there's a really rigid set of standards and there are, are a number of different companies that can come in and certify you to those standards and there's obviously um, a fee associated with that. So to some extent, it's a matter of whether or not your business can afford to become certified for ISO. And I, I would imagine from what I'd seen, you'd see similar things in textiles that if there's a certification that says, well, for another example, I know this is bopping a little bit, but another example is being living wage certified. That's a, that's a big thing in the U.S. right now. And um when I first started looking at living wage certification for my company, we've always exceeded the standards to be living wage certified, but there's always been a cost associated with it. And when you're a smaller business, you may be making the decision between remaining living wage certified or certifying that you are paying a living wage, right? And so there may be some issues like that. For us, when we were getting our fabric printed, what we did was reach out to a number of factories and take virtual tours with them where we were walked around with a translator and, um, a, you know, 
FaceTime or Zoom or something equivalent Mm -hmm. and had the opportunity to speak to workers, to look at the conditions, to understand the ownership structure and and things like this, to try and make what we hope were good decisions about how to print. And I don't know how much I I don't know much beyond that. I know for us, we ended up landing on a smaller family-owned factory that where all the workers are relatives and paid a wage and have, you know, the factory looks really nice. The conditions the people are working in to me seem comparable to what I've seen in domestic production um, in terms of cleanliness and safety and guardrails and and things like that. But it's, it's really hard to say. Yeah. I think also um, that that's fantastic. It sounds like you did a lot of homework to make sure that you were doing doing a good job of sourcing that. I also think that most of the fabric that I buy is not, people are not doing all that. So I wonder if there's a way for me to know when I buy fabric where it came from. Yeah. And it's interesting for me because as you know, a lot of the fabric I buy, I'm going to dead stock shops. I don't necessarily have any provenance on any of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, it would not surprise me to discover that some of those shops are or some of those fabrics are sourced from uh, textile mills that are are not careful about how mm-hmm. safety is managed or workers are treated or how they're paid. Um, but I, on on many of the fabrics, there's literally nothing, even on the selvage, to tell me where it came from, what what its country of origin is, much less where it might have, what its provenance might be. And I th- I think it can get really complicated really quickly there. Um, I would swear that I remember when we were talking to um, Terrence William that he was talking about um, Joanne's having some statements of how they source their items on their website. But again, I, I don't know how much of that will be Joanne's sending out a questionnaire to Kaufman saying, how do you source your fabrics versus mm-hmm. Joanne saying, tell us more about your your source so that we can go back to that source and and yeah. find things out. And I know for us, myself in manufacturing, we receive questionnaires all the time from our downsource customer saying, tell us behind you that you are doing the provenance check. And so I'll contact my vendor to say, are you doing your provenance check and so on. But there isn't one person who's a through line there right. from end user to point of origin. There's there's a bunch of questionnaires going from one quality department to another to ask ask about these things. So it'll be an interesting process to see what <laughs> I can find out. Yeah, I like the idea of a, a separate episode. I'd definitely listen to that. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> I mean, I'm your biggest fan. Um, <laughs> Do you have uh, anything um, from the sewing community that you'd like to discuss? I do. I kind of wanted to chat about Tilly and the Buttons. Um, and... So Tilly and the Buttons is now released, as far as I can tell, as of the date of this recording, four different patterns in their new extended size range. And that new extended size range goes up to a 56, I'm sorry, a 60-inch bust and a 61-inch hip with a 53-inch waist, which is much improved from their previous size range, like night and day difference between those size ranges. And with this, they um, they very nearly hit my hip size since I've uh, managed to pandemic expand to a 62-inch hip. Um, shouldn't be an issue with most of their designs. Most of their designs aren't so close fitting that that one inch difference would actually change anything at all about the look of that garment on me. With the most recent dress that they released, I noticed that um, Nandita, uh, Divine Dita, Dita Divine, I always get it backwards. One of my Divine favorite Instagram. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my favorite Instagram accounts had made a version of um, this sky sundress that's been released. And it's a basic sundress top that has either fixed straps or tied straps as options and a gathered skirt and comes in a variety of lengths. Um, and it's a cute dress. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's amazing. It's not the sort of compelling dress that I look at it and go, oh shit, got to buy that immediately. No matter what Beverly says about, you know, so your stash summer, (laughs) but, um, but it is, it is a cute dress and Nandita's take on the dress was particularly lovely. I really enjoyed what she did there. And I thought, I wonder if I'm going to buy that. (laughs) (laughs) truthfully that's my first thought was I wonder if I'm going to end up buying that so I posted an Instagram story and um, in a very non-scientific way just posted a picture of the dress and said who's making this who's going to do this and um, the vast majority of the people who responded to my question about it were fat sewists a couple of allies but mostly fat sewists who said yeah no I'm not touching anything till he does I feel like her her response, her company's response to fat sewists over the years has been so crappy. I wouldn't want to participate in what it is she's decided to grudgingly do here at the last minute. And keep in mind, I'm not stating that Tilly has been grudging about it. I'm indicating that that's that's, that's the feeling. Yeah, right. That's what folks are saying. Um, I honestly have very little thoughts about Tilly and the buttons because. When I came back to sewing, I think I saw somebody link a pattern or say they'd made something. I went and looked and went, well, shit, that's not for me. And I just, I never followed. I never clicked on another pattern after mm-hmm. that because it it wasn't for me. So I don't have a lot of these thoughts and feelings because I didn't, I didn't experience the same things at the same time as others did. And like you, I feel like when people are different, you have to give them a chance. But, but when I stopped to really think about it, I thought, you know what? I don't know that I'd ever buy charm patterns again. Um, I think that the way that Gertie has responded to the criti- criticisms that have been levied at her regarding her sizing and her failure to expand as promised, the way that she's um, indicated that if you fit into her bust measurement, obviously that means the patterns fit you. So what are you complaining about? All of those things put me in a position where my I don't think I'd buy them again, even if they fit. And so I can understand how people who may have felt invested in Tilly and the Buttons patterns now feel like they wouldn't want anything to do with it because of how the past behavior looked. So in theory, I'm in favor of forgiving a pattern company. And actuality, it turns out when it touches me personally, I don't know that I'm in favor of it. So it's it's kind of interesting. I did have a couple of folks who were straight size sewists who noted they were actually going to wait and see how many fat sewists they saw making these patterns before they gave any of their money to Tilly and the Buttons because they'd like to let the fat sewing community drive the question of whether or not what Tilly has done is enough. Mm. And um, so I find it interesting. I am still truthfully on the fence. I think it's kind of cute. It's the sort of thing where if I saw it in a big four pattern, I'd be tempted to buy it, make it and be like, look at you assholes not making something that fits me, even though it would be adorable on me. But in this case, it would fit me. And so I'm, I'm torn. I haven't made a decision. I'm thankfully you've given me a, a pause moment while I get through the summer to decide whether to buy it. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, but it's interesting to me. Have you seen the dress? What are your thoughts? So there's a couple things. Number one, I think that, um, Part of the issue is that Tilly and the buttons patterns, the way I view them in general, is they're in general, um, they're almost always beginner friendly. 
And that's why when you see this dress, you say, well, it's a nice dress, but it's not, you know, a home run because um, most of her patterns aren't really home run patterns. Like they're nice. They're very nice patterns and they're, but they're simple. And that's the point of them. And so I think that it's, it's a different situation than with Gertie, right? Because Gertie's are complicated patterns, right? And, and you, somebody may want that style and if Gertie makes it in a bigger size, that may be the only person making mm-hmm. vintage clothing in that uh, vintage patterns in that clothing. Whereas with Tilly, you can easily just skip it because a lot of other pattern companies make that now. And, the, and they, maybe they were quicker to get bigger sizes and they were more kind about it and they were more generous and more um, understanding that, that they weren't doing you a favor by making, making the sizes bigger. I guess I can see that argument. I think, I think for me with uh, just to throw it right back to Gertie, I think for me with charm patterns, what I'm really looking for is for someone else to identify that there is obviously a huge markup for market for pinup patterns in, in fat sizing and to swoop in there, because if there were um, an easy alternative for it, I think there's a lot of folks who would jump ship. Yeah. Um, because they have seen and do agree on on how really badly Charm Patterns has fumbled um, this opportunity. So, but interesting, are you going to buy it? Is this a dress that appeals to you? That dress is maybe not, I'm not that interested in that dress. It's interesting because I, I probably um, am in the camp with, I wouldn't really probably buy it if you had feelings bad about Tilly and the buttons. I mean, like I, um, I think that's fair. I mean, that's, that's one way to be an ally, but, um, I do, I do. I I always want to give somebody another try, but it's in this case, it's not my heartache that, that goes on in this. It's not, (laughs) that might be the answer for me as well, because this isn't my pain. I didn't experience it. It wasn't one that was, was where I felt personal hurt from it. And maybe the direction I need to go is listening to those who, who did feel that hurt. So thank you. That helps to uh, clarify. Actually. Uh, so do it, Emma. Do you, do you follow her on Instagram? Mm-hmm. Um, she of course has, I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's wonderful. If you guys don't follow her, you should go follow her. She's a wonderful fat sewist who has, she's a tester of a lot of, of patterns and she's really open about her feelings about, you know, size exclusivity. And I know that she, I believe that she is not going to make any Tilly patterns because she was so upset with the way it was handled. So um, I, I see, but I don't think that it makes anybody a, um, you've got to find your own path in yeah. this world, but if you're looking for guidance on what some allies are doing, some, what some fat sewists are doing, there's some guidance there. Um, since you brought up, so do it, Emma, of course, pulled up her page immediately. And one of, one of the items she's got up right now, uh, in the last few days is an amazing saltwater slip that she's made, which is the new Friday pattern company dress. That is a, a slip dress, right. That comes, uh, comes all the way up to a 63 inch hip in their seven size seven X sizing range on that. And it looks so good on her, particularly with the Adrienne blouse that she has made to go with it, that it's, it's a real tempting make for me and I'm not a slip dress person. So I I think you're right. When you see somebody who's really embraced the idea of, 
of your own body as a fat person. It's uh, it's a lot easier to find joy in their patterns, even if they aren't necessarily the pattern you'd immediately think of for yourself. Sure, so sure. good point. All right. Are we ready to discuss the next month's theme? No, I refuse. I am going to rebel against it. Who, Maybe. <laughs> I wonder who has figured this out out of our, uh, out of our listeners, who do you do you think a lot of people would have guessed from our clue? I'm going to say 50 percent will have gotten it, and 50 percent for some reason will think we're doing British invasion sewing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's going to be. I, I think that some folks are going to go down the wrong hill. Jack fabric, <laughs> or maybe they're going to think that we're sewing like sexy things. How oh. sex pistols? Oh, because people go down weird paths on these. So I'm just saying it's maybe true. they think this is all crotchless underwear this month. I don't even know. <laughs> that could work in the in the theme. I mean, learning how to sew from fruit leather. Um, I've <laughs> what so is much the theme here? <laughs> the theme this month is rules are made to be broken. And what's the hashtag? The hashtag is hashtag PF Anarchy. Yes, it is because anarchy rules and rules are for for tools. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think back to my punky, you know, backstory, which was relatively, you know, minor. I liked safety pins a lot in my clothing choices back in the day, but uh, <laughs> but part of me ached to be a prep, like to be totally preppy. Mm-hmm. because that's what everybody else was. And there wasn't clothing for me for that. <laughs> and so I was dying for it and instead had to settle for being rebellious. <laughs> but yeah, this one's going to be fun. Uh, you may have guessed already, uh, Beverly and I both are actually good at breaking rules, though I am perhaps more vocal about it at times. <laughs> yes, that's true. And you you can get a there's one thing that you can get away with breaking a lot of rules when you have some skills. So that helps you as well. You definitely have lots and lots of skills, perhaps not as much um, confidence as I do in stating that I have skills. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's true. One One of the first rules of breaking rules is the more you know, the easier it can be to confidently break a rule because you know when it's going to matter. Right. Because there are rules I'm not going to break. The tension on your machine should be correct for what you're sewing. I think that's a safe rule to state you should pretty much always follow. It doesn't mean that the tension should be what someone else said it should be for cottons, because maybe what you're doing is like you and I do. You're gathering by yeah. driving up the tension and driving up the stitchling. That's not at all how you'd sew a garment together, but it's, you know, reasonable for the activity. So I think there are some rules that once you, that are just rule rules, but once you understand why the rule exists, you can make a good decision about whether or not you can throw it the hell out. So uh, we're interpreting this in of course, the most liberal fashion, we, um, we let people interpret things however they want to. Um, but what, what we were thinking of is rules (laughs) for, um, breaking rules for fashion rules and rules for sewing rules. So I really want to talk about the sewing rules first because Ginny breaks almost all these rules. (laughs) And I would like to find out which kind of rules she breaks more. So 
sewing rules tend to fall into two categories. One is um, for making sure that your garment is well constructed. And some of the rules like that tells you to press and all this kind of stuff. And then whatever. <laughs> and then there are rules for safety. And in my estimation, I would I would bet that you are more likely to follow the safety rules than the garment construction rules. And I'm the opposite. That's hysterical. And I'm interested to find out if that's true. Okay. Because I've never really thought of them in those two categories. Okay. So I, I'm not sure what you mean by safety rules. Let's go through a list of rules you have. And you tell me if they're safety or, um, I don't know, arbitrary asshole rules. I'm not sure. What <laughs> was the other definition? Garment construction. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, I wasn't clear on that. So you tell me which okay. ones they are and let's see. So this first one is a garment construction rule. I heard it today on a repeat of the Love to Sew podcast. Um, they were doing a, uh, on linen, which I, I've already heard that, but I listened to it again because I like linen so much. Anyway, Carolyn said <laughs> a couple of times, you should never rip your fabric. Now, now explain to me why you shouldn't rip your fabric. Well, so one of the things that she said, I don't think is quite right because she said that you shouldn't because it could rip like unexpectedly, like not. So, so it can, I've had that happen. So it's a hundred percent true. You can have some loss, but let's be honest. I cut my fabric out with a rotary cutter and I've been known to fuck that up too. So <laughs> there's, there's definitely issues you can run across in both directions, but she so also I won't says that, that that's possible. She also said that, um, like the area near the rip is it, it shifts off grain. Um, it, it definitely can in that area, but unless you're sewing something with a quarter inch seam allowance, it's not really going to come up for the standard half inch to five eighths. That is common in woven fabrics in the U S and internationally in the pattern instructions that I've read, you're unlikely to have that be an issue. And um, I was going to look around and see if I had anything ripped I could show you right now. And she she's correct. So what it is, is that that tiniest little bit, the last three or four threads mm -hmm. are often, they look a little fuzzy and a little mm -hmm. off kilter, mm -hmm. but below that, they don't tend to be that it doesn't tend to be true in the fabrics I've ripped. And, you know, I've ripped every parasol dress, every envelope dress I've ever done. I regularly rip skirts that I attach to things if they're just big ass rectangles. <laughs> do you rip um, all types of fabric or only? I, certain uh, um, I rip, well, I try to rip all types of wovens. Okay. I am less satisfied instantly with the results with a twill. And I'm reminded <laughs> of it as soon as I do it. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm going to have a trapezoid. And unless that's my intent, it's probably not going to be a happy moment. Um, but yeah, if it's an even weave, I rip it all. I rip it do, all. Do you find that linen is harder to rip? Depends on the weight of the linen. Because that's one thing she was saying it would be harder to rip because linen is stronger than cotton. Yeah. So it depends on the weight. So if you're doing a lightweight sheer linen, it may be harder than a lightweight sheer cotton, but I'm comparing it to a quilting cotton, which is sort of my ripping standard. Okay. So what I'm hearing here, I think is that you break this rule. I break this rule with great regularity. Yes. So that is a that is a garment construction rule. So the next one 
there's one that's a this this can be divided into garment construction and safety and this has to do with pins okay mm-hmm. the first part of it is using pins to secure your fabric so that you keep everything straight that's for crazy people so garment so, construction so that's where you've been specific though you said using your pins to secure your fabric so that you so that it stays straight I would never use a pin for that purpose. Okay. Why would would you use a pin for that? That's just eyeballs. Yeah, I do it all the time. (laughs) Now, crazy. What about, um, so if you do use pins, and I do use them occasionally. Okay. Number one, do you ever put the pins in your mouth? Oh, 100%. Me too. All the time. Now that's a safety one. They come straight off of here and into my gob Mm -hmm. immediately. Okay. So I do that too. I thought maybe you didn't. And then no, I'm afraid I'm going to die that way someday. I, I that does worry me. <laughs> I, I put the story in. on there. They told a story about somebody who like inhaled one, one time and had to have surgery and everything, but it seems like a urban legend. I don't know. People are going to, people are going to write to us and say, no, no, that's true. But I want to hear from somebody that it happened to, not somebody that heard it happen. Right. Absolutely. And, but for me, it's in the back of my head the whole time. What if I suddenly sneeze and (laughs) and inhale quickly? And, you know, I'm always thinking about how I'm going to pierce my brain with them, or I'm going to swallow them or what's going to happen. I still do it, but I do worry about it. So at least you worry on the safety side. Uh, Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay. And do you sew over them? Not if I can help it, but sort of a callback to the question of putting them in your mouth. The first time the timing on your machine goes out because you sewed over a pin and hit it just wrong, the money you spend on fixing that will stop you from sewing over them. Mm. I don't sew over pins. I just, I broke a needle on it. The, the first time I sewed over, it was an accident that I sewed over it. And also I accidentally sewed over one on my serger and you definitely oh, don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, Yeah, no, I'm very careful with it. I do pull them back so that I don't have to take them out while I sew mm -hmm. because the pin, the needle's just not going to hit it at all. Um, But the rare occasion where I screw that up, I'm, I'm super disappointed in myself. And I'm, I remind myself that's why pins are bad. (laughs) Okay. All right. So the next ones, let's see, there are about uh, several that have to do with garment construction. So we'll go through that fairly quickly. Awesome. Number one, pressing as you go. Nope. (laughs) Nope. I only do that if I am doing a garment test and it's called out in the testing instructions. Okay. And I only do it there because I am being compensated in some way if I'm doing a garment test, um, because that's just my rule on garment testing. And if I'm being compensated to verify that the process and so forth yields the results expected. I follow all the rules there. Well, I think we can take away garment testing because the, on any of these that have so, sort of this suggestion, there could be a rule written in there and, and you're doing something different because of that. So yeah. this is all questions about what you would no. do given your- Oh, definitely not. Not normally. There's absolutely no moment where I'm likely to be doing that. It would It would be an extraordinary set of instructions that would cause me to on an average garment make, pull out my iron and use it in any way. Wow. I do not <laughs> sew without my garment, but without my iron. First of all, 
I iron the fabric before I do it. But this will bring us to the next part because the next one is pre-washing your fabric. Oh yeah. No, I don't do that either. <laughs> That's why you um, don't but, have to iron it. <laughs> but Beverly, I'm, I'm holding this up. Does this look pre-ironed? It's, it's got wrinkles all in it. It's been lying in a lump. It's wrinkled everywhere. It's very bad. Um, <laughs> and I'm about to attach binding to it without pins. She's proud of herself even. I am. I'm so proud of myself. Time-saving man. So why do you pre-wash? Because I use fabric that shrinks and I, I wear my clothes. <laughs> I don't just wear them to have a picture taken. I actually <laughs> use them in my wardrobe. Oh, I feel called out. Oh my <laughs> gosh. There was some, there was some sass there. <laughs> so I quit pre-washing. Well, there's several reasons for me. One is I don't have hot water in my washing machine, so I'm not going to be able to shrink it through hot water. So that just leaves the dryer. Mm -hmm. And for the vast majority of fabrics that I use, they've got a pretty predictable shrink rate and it's, it's not significant. It's not, it's not like I'm losing six inches over, you know, three feet. I'm, I'm losing half a centimeter mm -hmm. and there's nothing about that that's going to, to alter so my... So there's two fabrics that I'm thinking of that mm -hmm. I would think would be a big problem. Number one is my favorite, linen. It does yeah, don't do that. It does shrink a lot. And also flannel. Oh, I don't sew with flannel. Oh. So flannel's easy for me. I think flannel is a garbage fabric. So I don't really use it. <laughs> oh. So you so were a kid in the age me. of grunge and you think flannel is a garbage fabric. It's a garbage fabric. And I thought it was a garbage we're fabric during the grunge era. Your Gen X ID card. I mean, I'm just saying garbage fabric. So okay. yeah. Okay. Would never, ever happen. <laughs> well, uh, so, just so I don't sound like a complete ninny here, I'll talk <laughs> about finishing. Okay. Yeah. So here's what happened. So the, the rule of course is to not have raw edges on, you yeah. know, to, you know, use your serger or use zigzag or something on the edges so they don't fray and go away, which is true. I do that now, but I didn't know that when I sewed, when my kids were little, I didn't know anything about that. And big four patterns, at least the ones I did, didn't have any instructions on finishing the edges. And so I didn't know that that was needed. And so I just recently, when I was packing my stuff, I looked at this, these items that I've saved that I made for my kids. They're not finished at all on the edges and they're fine. I mean, the, yeah, they, they, they sort of wore away a little bit, but I didn't even trim, trim the seam allowances. So it just wore away a little bit. There's no holes or anything. So you want to know what's funny about this one? <laughs> when I sewed woven clothing for my children 30 years ago, I French seamed all of it. Because you sewed I it twice. Because <laughs> I didn't have a serger to finish the seams and I knew I needed to. And so I French seamed dresses my children could wear for five months before wow. they outgrew them. Wow. Every single bit of it. But I also hand smocked dresses for them, which wow. doesn't sound at all like a thing I would do now. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. 
So, so humorously, yeah, I, I learned my French seeming and I didn't know it was called French seeming, Mm. right? It was something where I'm like, how can I secure this? And I tried making bias tape and I was bad at it. And so I just sewed it. You invented French seeming for yourself? I definitely didn't invent it because I'm sure I had to have seen it on the inside of a garment somewhere. Mm. Right. I had to have seen it, but I was trying to figure out how to get the raw edges hidden and binding them was the first thing that occurred to me, but binding was expensive if you bought it and Mm. a miracle if you could make it. I didn't Mm. even understand how you would make it. And so that left sewing it together, ugly side together, then turning it over and sewing it together, pretty side together. And it was not possible to do that, or I couldn't figure out how to do it. So I had to hand whip some seams like curves in the crotch curve. I didn't know how to French seam that I couldn't, it was the straight sides. It was things Uh like that. I could do the ones where I couldn't do it. I ended up doing my own hand hand method of trying to do it. So, but I'm sure I had to have seen that somewhere. I had a lot of vintage clothing I'd done, you Mm -hmm. know, other stuff. And I lined a bunch of stuff too, because if you can line it, then there's nothing. But who the fuck is lining children's shorts? What is wrong with you (laughs) if that's your first path? So yeah, um, I, I put in my time. I'm just not willing to do it anymore, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay. So... Another one is twalls or I mean, everything you make is a twall. <gasps> yeah. I, um, let's see, do I, I don't really do twalls occasionally when there's a fitted bodice, I will make the bodice at least sometimes at a, at, like I'll have a small piece of fabric that I could just make the bodice with and I'll make that out of a cheap piece of fabric or something just so that I could see. But mostly if it's not a wearable twall, I find it to be wasteful. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm unlikely to make it. I, I rarely make a twall, but because of the way that I binge sew, there's a fighting chance the first one I make is the wearable twall. Yeah. Because I'm probably going to make 15 after that. And I've learned something that I can adapt mm-hmm. on the future ones. So I think yeah. it's it's a terminology question as to yeah. whether or not I'm making twalls, really. But you're not making one, like, let's say, out of um, muslin fabric. Yeah. And yeah. No, absolutely not. But I did a um, a fit test for uh, Chris Wood sews on the parasol that she sent in a muslin fabric. And I put it on and my husband took the photographs for me for the fit test. And while we were looking at it, I was like, I actually really love this out of muslin. <laughs> and I still haven't bought any to do it. But I feel like I should because I thought it was such a neat look. It was just, anyway, it was lovely. Um, but <laughs> So does that count that I've thought about buying muslin to make an actual garment? No, that doesn't count, does it? (laughs) It is kind of, isn't it? I've made so many now. I feel like I could do a good job with the muslin. Um. (laughs) Okay, so I saw some funny ones. Here's a funny one. Um, It said that you should unplug your machine when you change the foot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no that's a safety one i assume yeah and, um no that's not a thing yeah no. Does, no if anyone does that you probably shouldn't even tell us because we'll just laugh at you yeah. who would totally. do that? I, I take my foot off the the pedal when i change the foot yeah that way i'm <laughs> unlikely to sew through my hand um but that's not the same i suppose no well, that's how about this jenny 
Uh, do you know the required voltage and watts for your machine? I mean, American? I <laughs> No, of course I don't know that. Why would I know that? It came with a power cord. This dumb thing I was reading said, check the voltage and watts of the machine to make sure. Now, we're going to probably get some comments on this because I, maybe it's important in Europe because they maybe it changes in different countries in Europe or something like the amount that comes through the wall. We just kind of rely know. on it's going to be okay here. Yeah. I, yeah. And generally, or at least my experience with the first house that we owned is generally, if it's a different than normal amount, it's really well labeled near that outlet. And those are mostly outside outlets. Or they're like for your dryer or something, like one of those huge ones. Well, yeah. With, and then it's a different shape plug. Yeah. Usually. You can't even fit a plug in it. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I don't know. That one's crazy. I'm not sure what that one's for. And I know you always tie your hair up before you do. Your I mean, a hundred percent. I think long hair like mine is really an issue. So yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, I assume you do because you wouldn't want to accidentally sew your hair into your garment, which clearly you do. You'd just be kind of lollying around with your hair right over <laughs> your, your like, needle space. I actually don't get my head that close. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe they're thinking you're Rapunzel. I'm, I'm not clear on that one. Okay. What about using a thimble? Well, I don't hand sew anymore, so I don't need one. But when I did hand sew, I used them on as many fingers as I could. Oh, I, I, yeah, because my, I'm not very sensible when I, when I would hand sew and I more than once would poke the back end of the needle into my skin, mm. like push the blunt end, which is really some effort into, to my fingers. And so I always used a thimble when I would hand sew. Mm. Yeah. I, I sometimes do. I, I do a, quite a bit of hand sewing because, um, cause I enjoy it. I, um, like for example, I, when I do the backside of a waistband, I really enjoy hand sewing it. Um, I like the, you know, just the precision of it. I really like yeah. it. So, yeah. And I, I used to hand sew hems all the time. That was one that I always appreciated doing hand sewing on instead of machine, but but I just don't anymore. So another thing, speaking of hems, you know, they say you're supposed to hang your dresses before you <laughs> do your hems because they'll settle or something. Mm -hmm. I think there are fabrics that that matters more. Well, definitely like for bias cut, so right? Rayons. Yeah. And well, for bias cut, it matters. But I think rayons, even when they're cut not on the bias, you can tend to have a little bit of wobbliness about it. I think some of the Lighter weight fabrics can do that as well, but not consistently. But the, the rayon is one I've heard that for bias cut, obviously. I, I don't do any of that, of, of course. I, I finish them up, uh, <laughs> quickly hem them. But I will say, even um, given that none of them are pre-washed, given that I run them through the dryer on high heat, given that I do a lot of things that are either biased cut or use rayons or other fabrics that are not as inclined to stay on grain as you might like, and I don't use pins and I do none of the things to make it accurate. What I find is even weeks later when I'm wearing a dress, I've worn several times and washed several times. If you take a photo of me from my side, my hems are very parallel to the ground. So I am sure that is as good advice. I am also sure it has not generally impacted how well my even hems wear. And I'm, I do really nice even hems. If I keep my shoulder seam where it's supposed to be on a side view for any 
any garment of mine, the hem is, is parallel front and back, which um, I think is even harder given the way that my butt protrudes. <laughs> I have to actually make an effort to keep something parallel. Yeah, I um, I never think about that. I just hem it the same all the way around the bottom. Like, yeah, I, 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 I have to focus on it because of that, because of that butt, because otherwise I tend to end up with things that are either, well, generally, if they're on my shoulder, they're going to be up too high in the back. Mm-hmm. And if they want to try and stay in a parallel space, they're going to be pulled back too far. And so the neckline is going to come up too high on me, mm-hmm. right? In order to make the parallel, the shoulder straps, shoulder seams will go back a little bit. But I tend to be very good at it. But I also have sort of a picture in my head for what I need to do when I'm cutting and then when I'm hemming. Right. And I don't think I could even define it. I don't, I know there's a, there's a big butt adjustment you can do or full butt or whatever they call it, <laughs> but that, but I don't do those adjustments. I, that I'm aware of, <laughs> you know, you, you like big butt adjustment. Is that the one you preferred? <laughs> That's great. Okay. Yeah, anyway, well, I'm just, I'm saying I'm proud of my hems is what I'm yeah, saying you, you, is you, I have you, very you, parallel hems and I'm super proud. Well, you know, the thing is, Jenny, I mean, that's the thing that's that's great it, people who make these rules will probably get very upset with you because you do a great job like all your stuff looks really nice so it, you don't need to do these rules here's one i i don't know i bet i do of course and i'm wondering if you do do you do stay stitching tell me and i mean this very sincerely tell me what stay stitching is what do you mean by that like when you have so you cut uh i'm thinking you don't do it uh, this is just like, it seems ridiculous now that I'm t- saying it, that you would even do it. But like, let's say you cut a top and it has, so essentially when you cut the neckline. Is this the stitches that I do inside of the seam line on the neckline and yes. occasionally on an armhole, but yes. mostly it's neckline. Yes. Okay. So yes and no. The first garment, I probably don't. The second garment, I do if it made a difference on the first. If it was like wonky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it was wonky. Okay. And I'm pretty good at making a decent guess as to whether it will be wonky. So my yeah, up-tens, like I do stay stitching is. every time. Yeah. Like, the the up-ten, I stay stitch every time. Okay. So like but, the, the dress that I'm wearing right now has a high neckline and a very, not not scooped very much at all and probably wouldn't need stay stitching. Yeah. But if you have- And I'd say that's, yeah. A real scoop neck, yeah. then it's more bias there. And so it's yep. more likely to come out. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's variable, but, but yeah, basically the, the higher the neckline, the less likely I am to do it. And if I don't do it and I discover I was wrong, I, I will do it in the future for that garment. So now what about interfacing? This is one where I break the rules a lot. Now I do use interfacing on some garments. That's so sweet. You don't even use interfacing. So I own interfacing. I don't know where it is. Truthfully, right now, I could not put my hands on it, but I own a lot of it. I've bought bolts of it because there are things I use interfacing for. But for the most part, I interface using either um, a muslin or a, a white or black lawn or voile or whatever it is I'm sewing with. I just use a solid of the same type of fabric well, instead of an iron in or something else. That's actually better than the iron in because the iron in so. can get raw wobbly and everything. I think I think that's actually better. I I do use the interfacing, but I don't buy specific interfacing. Like 
I, first of all, do not cut the interfacing on the grain. I'm not, Ever. Yeah. Never, never do that. I cut it the way that uses the least interfacing. Yep. It's yeah. too expensive and too weird. Um, yeah, no, I don't do that either. But I, yeah, over the years, I used to do, I used to iron inconsistently, but my iron's inconveniently located and usually the ironing board's stacked. So I don't iron in interfacing anymore. And what I discovered then was I could just buy yards and yards of black and white in different weights and use that because mostly what I'm doing is creating thickness, right? I'm just mm -hmm. trying to create a stiffer, thicker thing that makes whatever it is hold its shape, whether it's a sleeve, sleeveless sleeve or a neckline or a waistband or whatever else. And does so I tend well to on use a, uh, on a collar. Um, well, I don't do anything with a collar because it's not my style. So oh. I don't know. <laughs> um, I can say it works well on waistbands. So my collar pants, I don't put interfacing in. I use I use layers of the same fabric usually there. I don't usually use a solid that's similar unless it's a fabric that might be a little sheer, um, mm -hmm. which is uncommon for me in a pant. But I I use the same fabric to self interface. I see. So I do, I think interfacing has a real purpose. I just, I'm not always into the part where I have to locate some special sticky substance and iron it in. So. All right. Yeah. I, um, I'm going, I'm going to use less of it after hearing this because I don't really enjoy doing that. Now I, I have done it. Like when I made this, um, this poof to put all the scraps in, you know, this huge, like, yeah, my mom calls it a hassock. <laughs> is that like, sounds fair? Is that a real word? I don't know. She, it is. Oh, okay. She calls it a hassock. Anyways, those those fabrics were just quilting cottons, and I I interfaced all of those for that, but because that's what they called for you to do. Okay, so you, I just want to make sure I understood because I was afraid for a minute I didn't. You interfaced the fabric that made the outer frame. Yeah, not it's the, not that it's you not took the all your shredded <laughs> shit, ironed it onto interfacing, and then shredded it and put it in. Okay, cool. I'm just, I wanted to be clear because I'm like, man, that is extra if you. Yeah, extra <laughs> level moron. <laughs> <laughs> I could not figure out where you were going with it. But yeah, I, I would I would think that you would want to interface that. And I think stick on interfacing would probably be the way to go for that. I mean, truthfully, to make it, to make it wear as well as it was going to. So yeah, there's, so there's a purpose. General, those are most of my sewing rules. And it seems <laughs> like. In general, Jenny is a rule breaker. In general. Whether it be safety or garment <laughs> construction. So, I mean, I don't put my hand under the needle when it's going up and down. I follow that rule. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, generally. I just didn't I have pick sewn, the right rules. You know, I've sewn through my fingers more often than I'd like to say, but I am generally pretty careful with it. Um, I break the rules on my, my serger. I use canned air to blow out threads on my serger. And I know you're not supposed to, I do also use, um, the brush that comes with it, of course, for things like that as well. But I, I take the fast rope for some of it and blow air out or use air to blow out the, the threads in particulate, which I, I think is another rule that I've heard. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to break. Um, I may regret that someday. I follow the rules about changing your needles. I change my needles religiously very, very often. I sew a lot. And particular needles Oh, no, I have no idea what kind of needle I'm putting in there. So I remember this I conversation when you were like, yeah, I was saying the size of needles. You're like, is that what those numbers mean? <laughs> is that what those numbers mean? So like, just as an example, 
I've got these Schmetz needles. I've got ones that say 65.9, some that say 70.10, 80.12, and 90.14. And I've used randomly from within these packages. I have no idea what those numbers mean, <laughs> um, but they are all universal. So I assume that means they work on everything. Um, I have determined, like I use my leather needle if I'm sewing on denim and I use my, my sequin and sequins. Leather is for denim and sequins. And yeah, that's really, that's the limit of my, my needle knowledge, but okay. I change them regularly. That's good. That's good. I don't think everybody does. I think there are lots of people out there that don't change their needles regularly. I didn't used to, I didn't know. I think that like I had a sewing machine when, when my kids were young, I think that I never changed the needle. I thought that's interesting. Just they a bit broke. I was yeah. like, it's interesting. They gave you these extra needles. I haven't needed one yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I change the needles really regularly. That's something I'm, I'm very good about. I leave my machines turned off when I'm not using them generally. I mean, I think those are, those are rules. Not everybody does. Right. Well, bravo. So right there. I'm a rule <laughs> follower. See? Okay. So let's just quickly go through some of the fashion rules because a lot of the fashion rules are actually anti-fat and also just like dumb rules that people made up that either have to do with flattering or, you know, things like this. So what kind of rules of fashion do you break? I mean, so I don't know that I'm aware of a lot of the fashion rules, but I, I wear my skirts too short for a fat woman particularly, but I, I tend to wear them too short. I wear tent style dresses, which is often considered to be stuff that fat ladies shouldn't wear, makes you take up more space, makes you visually seem larger than you are. And that by definition is inappropriate. You would want to minimize your body no matter what it is you're doing. Well, I wear white fat ladies aren't supposed to do that at all, no matter what time of year it is. Um, and I do wear white. I think it's a, a really neat, a really neat thing to do. I, I don't know. What I'm about not sure horizontal stripes? Oh yeah. Stripes are definitely meant to be worn horizontally and vertically. Both of them are great. If you can put both in the same garment, it's even better, but yeah, that's absolutely, it doesn't make sense to me, but, but my goal in how I dress isn't to minimize myself. It isn't to make me take up less space. It isn't to make me more attractive to someone else, to have someone else looking at me and going, yeah, I, I really think she's attractive now. I I'm not interested in any of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm dressing for me. I also think that so many of the fashion rules are mostly rules. Uh, they're, they're sexist rules. And they're also, they're, they're to conform to gender standards. Like it seems to be okay for women to wear pants, but it would be really unusual for a man to wear a dress. And if so, there has to be some kind of statement about it or something. It's, you know, so there's all these kind of fashion rules that are, that are just stupid. I mean, this is just clothing and, I don't know. I break I break most of the the rules even though I seem to dress pretty mildly. I don't I don't care about fashion rules. I definitely wear linen in the winter time. I definitely these th- I I wear the things that make me make me feel good. Yeah. I think that's really key is figuring out what that looks like. I will say a few years ago someone introduced me to the idea of using contrasting prints or different types of prints pattern mixing basically, mm-hmm. which was a thing I would never have had occur to me for many years between high school and where I am now. In high school I had no problem pattern mixing. I don't know what happened after high school, but I hit some place my kids 
comment on it where my feeling is things should match. Mm-hmm. So like the shoes I wore today go perfectly with the dress I wore today, the, the color, the pattern of them, they're an exact perfect match for it. And my kids will tell me I'm too matchy match, that that's not a Nessa. I'm, I'm conforming to this idea that I grew up with, that you're supposed to match, that you don't wear black with Navy, that you, mm-hmm. you know, that, that there are basically three base colors. There's black, brown, and blue. Those are your choices. And they don't, never the twain shall meet, right? <laughs> you have to, you have to make sure you're not, you're not crossing those streams. And I'm not even sure exactly why that is. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that my visual acuity for color is is unusual, but not unheard of. I have trouble keeping greens and blues apart and I have trouble with grays and browns. I can't always tell which is which. So if I'm asked to pick out something green, there's a fighting chance you're going to get a blue thing back from me. And the same thing for grays and browns. And I think that inability to tell how those things go together has assisted me in getting better at letting go of some of those specific color type rules. And I know there's a whole color circle with different things at different mm-hmm. places on it that are supposed to tell you how things are supposed to go together. Um, but it's it's somewhat freeing to not be aware of that because you may instinctively be using some of it because so much of our culture is built around things that follow the rules, right? Yeah. But But when you don't, you won't know you're breaking a rule. You'll just be doing it because it looks or feels good. One of my favorite inspirations for, for color is... Katie Cortman, who released those wonderful fabrics at fabric.com, Amazon, that are uh, the double gauzes and so forth, her most recent fabric release. And if you follow her on Instagram, you'll see just some of the most exciting ways to put colors and patterns together, which I, I love. And I honestly feel like I'm really timid about things like that. I pick a wild pattern, but I'm not pairing it with something else. You I'm know, saying... I- I, you know. I agree. I have problems with that too. I think that's maybe where I'll go with this challenge is trying to pair patterns. Cause I'll, I'll wear a crazy pattern, but it'll be either a dress or I'll wear it with a pair of jeans or something like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't match things up that way. So maybe, maybe I'll try something like that. I love the idea now that I'm thinking about it of, of, of embracing that challenge with say an Upton dress with princess seams with the idea being that you, you pick your pat, your fabric and you pick your contrasting fabric and you put it together out of those different possible elements. I think that's an interesting idea as well. So taking like my cabbage quilting cotton to make the front panel of an Upton bodice and adding a contrasting stripe side or, or something similar. I think that's an interesting idea. I think so too. Hmm. So we've given a lot of examples of rules that people can break. And this month, we'd like to have a challenge where we have, we see how many rules somebody can break. Now, before you decide you're not even going to bother trying, we've already established that Jenny can't win this. So (laughs) So what we'd like you to do is when you post your makes with the PF anarchy tag, you you put in there your number of rules that you've broken. You don't even have to list what they are. If you say you've broken 17 rules, we believe you. Um, we want to just see who can who can break the most rules this month. And then we'll also have a random challenge, a random prize as well. Absolutely. And um, I'm looking forward to coming up with a rule non-conforming uh, prize for the, the biggest rule breaker. Oh, I can't wait. Because I think... 
Yeah, I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, the other thing I'm sort of expecting from one of our our listeners, because of um, the the level of snark we sometimes can experience here, um, is someone who decides that the the most rule breaking thing they can do is to make something using all the rules because we told them to break the rules. And so, so I'm half expecting some sort of meta commentary here as we go yeah. through this. Yeah, this will be interesting. <laughs> all right, well. This is a pretty long episode, I think. Uh, I think it is, but I, you know, don't our rule, don't, don't we want to break the rule about how your podcast episodes have to be around an hour in order to really grab the listener properly? I think we have. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Well, thank you. It's been wonderful chatting with you and I can't wait to see the results of your New York trip. All right. Well. See you you next next Tuesday. Tuesday. The Punk Frackers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frackers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art.